reading now. This morning the Bible reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 11. The ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that, we, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Alrighty. Good morning, everyone. How are you going? It's good to uh, be here. It's good to have you here. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Joel. It's my privilege to be able to... Uh, Share with us this morning as we, um, we wrap up our theme. Uh, if you've been here for the last few weeks or if you haven't been here, we've been looking at this theme of we are all witnesses and looking at um, sharing the gospel and how do we do that. Uh, last week, Andrew talked about the context of gospel sharing. Uh, we looked at Paul in Athens, how he went around, he observed, he listened, he learnt and he quotes the poetry of the day. He talks to the philosophers and the religious people. And he knows the context so much that he's able to then speak into that. Um, the week before, we looked at communicating the gospel. Uh, Glenn preached about um, 2 Corinthians 4, so the passage before this, and, and how we put forth the truth plainly, how we don't distort the word, we don't use deception, and we sort of communicate God's story and our story and connect that with other people's story. And, um, and if you weren't here on the first week, I really think the first week was key to it all. And if you haven't listened to it, it was on the long weekend, so maybe um, listen to it online. But Andrew talked about having confidence in the gospel, that we actually believe that the gospel is the power of God to save. Like Paul says in Romans 1, he says, I'm unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to save for everyone who believes. That's what Paul writes. I'm unashamed, so I'm confident in this, even though I'm going to get persecuted, even though I get thrown in prison, even though I get attacked, I'm unashamed because I believe that the gospel is the power of God to save. And that's the confidence that we can have, that we can go out and share the gospel because we see and we believe and we trust that the gospel is the power. And so in the end, that's the foundation, that the message is the power, not the methods. 
and we have to have that first and foremost. The methods are important, we need to think about that, but overall the message is what saves people. And that's got to be the foundation of it all. The gospel is powerful. And, and to be honest, I, I, I believe I'm seeing this. I've seen this in my own life. Um, I, c- I remember sort of over throughout this year, um, sort of March, April was a bit of a mess. And I remember just around Easter, just praying like, God, I, I want to see your power at work in my life. Like, I can't sort of put up with, you know, these sins and these habits and these attitudes. Like, I want to see change in my own life. And it's been awesome because I've been seeing that. And I see it in people around us as well. I see the gospel at work. You know, and as I see that, as I get that confidence, it actually allows me then to go out and share the gospel much more confidently because I see the gospel at work. You know, the heart behind this image that we, we put together is um, not just that we've got a beautiful church of good-looking people, um, but that... You know, these photos were taken five, six years ago at our 20th, up to, in our 20th anniversary. You know, and I go, okay, sure, those, some of those people there, it's not like about the people, but they represent people who have been here for a little while, and sure, they've grown up, like Francis is a little bit older now, and Aaron, but, but actually, I believe that God's actually worked in their lives, and that they've actually become more like Christ over those years, that they've matured and they've grown, and we see the gospel at work. And that's the heart behind it, that we're all witnesses to that. That my hope and our prayer is that we can actually look around at each other and we can go, you know what? They're growing in their faith. They're becoming more like Christ. And that we see the gospel at work and that gives us confidence then go out and share it. So we are witnesses not just to the stories and, and the word and the power of that, which is super important. But we're also witnesses to the fact that we see God working around us. And that should give us confidence then to go out and share the gospel. And so I guess my first question this morning, because we've been talking about it all year, maturing disciples. My first question is, are you growing? You know, we're now 1st of July, seven months into the year. And we've been talking about it for a while now. And I think we need to ask the question of ourselves, are you growing? Are you maturing in your faith? If not, why not? <laughs> What's stopping it? What's hindering it? Are we too busy? Are we too preoccupied? Are our priorities mixed up? You know, we need to actually assess, am I growing in my faith? Are the people around me growing in their faith? And how can we as a church continue to mature as, as disciples of God? That we don't grow stagnant or static, but we continually to grow and mature. You know, a, a simple thing that I came across this week is, you know, physically, like if we, I've been thinking about getting a little bit healthier physically. It's sort of coming needed. Oh, calm down, you. All right. And, and so I was listening to a John Piper thing, who's not talking about physical health, he was talking about other, but he had a brilliant analogy. The way that you get physically healthy, I mean, this is what they tell me. I don't know this for real, but you eat healthier and you exercise. It's what you consume, and it's then your exercise. I mean, essentially, that's two things. You do that, you'll be healthy. What if the same is true spiritually? That if we want to grow spiritually, if we want to be healthy spiritually, it's about what we consume and about the actions we do each day. What if it's as simple as that? And so for us to think about, okay, what am I consuming each and every day? Am I eating healthily of the Word of God? And am I 
then living it out? Am I applying it to my life and am I practicing these things daily? And so my prayer this morning is that we would actually pray that God would grow us and use us and that as we do that, we would be compelled and we'll be driven out of this place to be witnesses of the power of God because we go out and we go, how can I not share the gospel because I see it working so evidently here? That's my prayer this morning, and that's our prayer as leadership as we continue this year looking at maturing disciples. So this morning, we're going to get into 2 Corinthians 5. Glenn touched on it a couple weeks ago, and we're going to dive a little bit deeper into it. Three very simple points. One, the fear of the Lord. Two, the love of Christ. And three, our role moving forward. And all of that looking about how that compels us to share the gospel. So firstly, the fear of the Lord. One of the things that I've been thinking about as we've been listening to these sermons and as we've been um, preparing around this passage is that we haven't, we've talked about, you know, sharing the gospel, but we haven't really talked about the consequences of not. We haven't talked about judgment or hell. This is not having a shot at Glenn or Andrew for, you know, not preaching that, but because I don't think it's an individual issue, I think it's actually a reflection of our culture that we're in. We don't like talking about judgment or hell or sin, or anything that's like a bit showing of conflict and issues like that. And yet, Paul writes that we know the fear of the Lord, that we have to know this. You know, obviously in a Christian background that a lot of us have grown up in, we've probably heard the fire and the brimstone sort of messages, the turn and burn sort of idea. And I think Christianity, particularly in the West, has probably swung the complete opposite way. And now we don't hear anything around judgment or hell. You can read so many different books, listen to different sermons, and majority of the Western church does not mention it. And yet here Paul writes, we know the fear of the Lord. In verse 11, it starts with therefore. So when you see a therefore, you need to ask, what is it, what is it there for? Paul is continuing an argument, which he starts in verse 10. So 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 is the context for Paul's statement, and it says that for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 5.10, that we all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It's not an if or a but, that we all do it. And for me, that's that's a bit of a scary thought, that each and every person appears before the judgment seat of Christ. You can't escape it throughout the Bible. The Bible is really clear that Jesus returns and he judges the living and the dead for what they've done. And so therefore, Paul writes, because of that, because we all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, therefore, we know the fear of the Lord. Now, it's not this fear, you know, it's a biblical fear. It's not the fear of trepidation and running away and hiding and, oh my gosh, I'm so scared. But it's a fear of respect and awe and taking seriously the things of God, this sort of fear about him, this fear that Jesus is coming back. Like, I just paused on that this week, like Jesus is coming, like, think about all the stories you know about Jesus, like the healings, the miracles, the things that he said to people, the way that he confronted Pharisees, the way that he welcomed in the outsider. Think about, you know, what happened when he died. Like, I don't know if you've ever read the Easter story, like, throughout. 
the graves were open. Like people just came out from the graves and there was like storms and there was darkness. Like this is like, this Jesus that we read, he's coming back. And it could be tomorrow. It could be today. Like Jesus, the, the most, you know, we sang before, worthy of every song, like the name above all names, he's coming back. And he's coming back to restore all things to their rightful place. Which should be exciting for us. He's going to return everything to its rightful place. Perfection again. But one thing he will restore is his total rule and his authority. Like we sang in that song, the lion and the lamp, every knee will bow before him. That's going to be restored. Every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. And obviously, like we know from the Bible, that those who don't believe, those who reject his kingship and continue to reject his kingship will get what they asked for. See, we have to understand the gravity of sin here. I know we don't like talking about it. We have to understand the gravity of sin, that it's like the utmost act of treason. We've totally rejected a king. Romans 1 says that we exchange the image of God for idols the beauty of God for idols, that we've turned from the creator to created things. Like when you actually think about that, you know, Riley shared that in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, like God created everything. We've turned from the creator to created things. And that's not just the pagan people in the Bible who, you know, set up little images and statues and worship them. That's us as well, that we turn from the creator to the created things of our lives our jobs, our possessions, our careers, different things that we worship, created things, not the Creator. And when you really think about that, that's an act of treason. Like that has got to be the most you know, offensive thing you could do to God. So we need to realize the gravity of, of our sin. And then when we know that, we actually go, you know what, Jesus returning... We all appear before the judgment seat. We know the fear of the Lord so that we do what Paul says. We try to persuade others. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We know that He's coming again, that God will come and justice will be dealt. You know, justice is an interesting one because I think we all actually love the idea of justice. You know, I remember uh, a few, it must have been a month or so ago, um, I've got a couple of paramedics in my family, and there was a story of these women who had assaulted a paramedic, and then um, they got off, they got off free. And my social media was full of, like, outrage. You know, people that were just complaining, you know, the comment sections of these articles that the newspaper shared, like, just full of abuse. And I was like, why is that? And it's because there's this inbuilt sense in us that we want justice. We want the wrong things in our world to be dealt with. We want evil to be dealt with. We just don't like it when it's us in the <laughs> seat facing it. So actually, Jesus returning, everyone appearing before the judgment seat of Christ, that's actually a good thing. Because the evil and the wrong is going to be dealt with. And perfection is going to be restored. And we just got to make sure that we've responded to Jesus, how he's called us to respond bowing our knee before the King of Kings. And so with that, we need to persuade others. We need to go out and share the gospel. 
We need to share it with ourselves. You know, we can't take for granted that everyone here knows Jesus like they should. We need to persuade others, share the gospel with each other, and we need to go out sharing the gospel because we know that it's only by grace that we can respond to God and what He's done. All appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Therefore, we know the fear of the Lord. We persuade others. Notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say we try to persuade. He doesn't say you can, tr- you know, you, we might persuade, or maybe we can, you know, if you feel like it, persuade. It's just, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. If we really believe this, if we really believe the story of the Bible and what God's taught us, then it's not an option to share the gospel. It's a must. It's a natural follow-on. So we know the fear of the Lord. The second thing is we know the love of Christ. So Paul makes it clear that it's the fear of the Lord that drives him, but he also makes it clear in verse 14 that the love of Christ controls us because Christ died for all. We've concluded this, that one has died, therefore all have died. Depending on what translation you have, the NIV says compels, which is sort of like the traditional, what probably most people, the God, love of Christ compels us. Uh, ESV says controls us. Uh, some other translations say constrains us. It's a bit of an ambiguous word. It's only used 12 times in the, um, in the New Testament, this word control. And the word literally means to hold together or to surround or to confine or to constrain. Uh, if you know uh, in Luke, there's a story about Jesus where Jesus is surrounded by the crowds um, and he feels a woman grab his cloak and he turns around and he says, who touched me? And Peter's like, uh, everyone's touching you. Like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, 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 I felt someone touch me. Uh, I felt the power go from me. And he f- turns and he sees the woman who's been bleeding for years. And, and he, you, know, you know the story? Yeah? That's, that word of Jesus being surrounded by the crowd is the same word we get here. It's this, imi- it's this word of like, Jesus is so surrounded by the crowd that he can't move anywhere else. <laughs> you know, like he's totally sort of forced into this spot that that's exactly, he can't do anything else. And so when Paul writes here that the love of Christ controls us, it's that image that like we are so surrounded by God, we're so held together by the love of Christ that we can't do anything else. That we are sort of locked into this position of sharing the gospel, of going out and, sh- and, and sharing Christ's love because it's surrounding us. It's captured us. It controls us. And so therefore, we have this new conclusion around life. Paul writes, the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this. We have a new conclusion through the cross that, that Jesus died for our sins and has therefore given us a new reason to live. And I just love that picture. I love that picture that I'm so controlled by the love of Christ that I can't do anything else but share that love. That I'm locked into that position. And so we need to ask ourselves, do we, do we know God's love like that? Has God's love really captured us like that? And if not, we've got to share the gospel with each other. And we've got to keep reminding each other of the cross and of what Jesus has done for us, and what God has done for us, and that we're overwhelmed and captured by this love 
so much so that it controls us and we can't move anywhere else, but we can only do what God's called us to do with that love. And in that, Paul continues. He says, We now regard no one according to the flesh, that because of the cross we have this new conclusion and we, we don't regard anyone according to the flesh, that we see people differently now. That if we're looking at people, we should see them differently for two reasons. One, they appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And two, God really, really loves them enough to die for their sins and to give them a chance at life again. We see every, everyone through this lens. I mean, look around. We should see everyone here in our church, everyone we see outside of our church, we should see them through that lens. That everyone here appears before the judgment seat of Christ, but also everyone here is so loved by God. So loved that He gave His one and only Son, that if whoever believes in Him, they don't perish, but we get eternal life. Like, it's a total new way of seeing people. And so if we know that someone is in sin, if we know that someone's living the wrong way, if we know that someone is drifting off, well, actually we jump in because we, we know this thing. We see it differently now. There's an eternal perspective to it all. And so it's not just, oh, they'll be right, they'll come back. or It's not just, oh, I'm a bit scared of the relationship, so I'm not going to say anything. Like, I don't want to, I'm just going to avoid all conflict. I'm going to avoid any sort of messiness. Like, no, we can't afford to do that because there's an eternal perspective to it. C.S. Lewis writes this. It's one of my favorite quotes. He says, in the, it's in The Weight of Glory, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. In fact, it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are perpetually solemn. We must play, but our enjoyment must be that of the kind which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. That there's no ordinary people. Everyone that we see has an eternal destiny or destination. They are immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And while that can be <laughs> daunting and frightening, he says, like, it, we still enjoy life. We still go through life. But it just means we take people seriously. Each and every person, that there's a seriousness to that, that we go, you know what? Actually, there's something I need to tell you. <laughs> there's something I need to say. Like, you have to know this good news because it changes everything. It changes the way that we see people. Everything is different now because of a new conclusion because Christ has died for all and therefore all have died and we now live for Him. And so, essentially what we should have here, coming off that, is that we need to be driven and compelled by a healthy and biblical tension of fear and love. We have to have a healthy and biblical tension of fear and love. Because I think too often we get it imbalanced. If you think about gospel sharing and some people often, you know, you know we know the examples of having sort of too much of the fear message, too much of the judgment that you know, it's the turn and burn, and it's hateful, it's intimidating, it is guilt-driven sort of 
proclamation of the gospel. But on the other side, which is probably the side that we find ourselves in a lot nowadays in our culture, is that we can get too much of the sort of the, the love side. And the reason I say love, because I think true love tells the truth. But we get too much down this love side where we don't see conviction. We don't tell people about sin and judgment, and we don't actually tell the truth and there's no sort of real repentance it's just like add jesus to your sinful life and hope that it all goes well like there's no change there's no and so actually we have to have a balance of that we have to keep those two intention that the judgment and the fear but also the love and the salvation and the cross and somehow hold that all together because in the end that's the gospel the gospel isn't just that jesus died on the cross the gospel is that he took our place place that we deserved and he rose again that he rose again to sort of show his victory over sin and death to to signal the new life that now begins in the spirit and to symbolize the resurrection of all believers that one day just as jesus rose from the dead everyone else who believes will do that and that when christ returns when he comes back like all sin all evil is completely dealt with that's good news. It is good news that Jesus is returning to deal with all evil. And it's good news that Jesus is returning to restore the earth to perfection. And so we look back to that day. We look forward to that day, knowing that the good news is that we're being brought back to God. So in the end, it's great to get all those things, but the best gift is the person of Jesus, that we can have a relationship with him. In 1 Peter 3, P- Peter writes that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. I think so often we focus on the cross and we focus on sort of the new heavens, new earth, but we forget the key bit, which is to bring us back to God. <laughs> That's the heart of it all, that we actually now, as broken, sinful people, get to come back to God, get to live in relationship with the King, now and forever. And that's the good news, with the King in His kingdom, now and forever. And so now, as Paul continues on, as he wraps us this little thought, he says, now we have the reconciliation mission. The ministry of reconciliation. That Jesus has reconciled us. He's brought us back to God. And now he's given us this ministry to go out and share the message of reconciliation. That Jesus is bringing the whole world back to himself. He's restoring all things. And we are all witnesses to that. That we've been brought back to God. And we now go share that. And we see it in our own lives. We see it and so we share it. That's what it means to be a witness. Um, I don't know if any of you would have got this reference. I mean, we are all witnesses is an allusion, obviously, to Acts 1, where, you know, Jesus says to his disciples, you're now witnesses in all the earth. And uh, But there's another sort of circle that's captured that uh, Nike, I don't know if any of you know Nike, but they had a, LeBron James poster. LeBron James is the other one where um, they said, we are all witnesses. I didn't think Glenn or Andrew would bring this up, but uh, I thought that'll be safe for me to use. 
you know, LeBron James was, you know, drafted as like to be like one of the best players in basketball and he's gone on to become one of the greatest in basketball history. And early in his career, there was a big billboard outside of uh, the stadium. There's a massive billboard and he's standing there like this, arms wide open. It just says, we are all witnesses. And it's just a black background, Nike tick. Like it's become like iconic LeBron James photo. And it's just interesting that it's like right outside the stadium, everyone would go, the flock to Cleveland. I mean, I don't know. Apparently, you don't go to Cleveland for any other reason other than LeBron James. And they've got a terrible sporting history. And yet right outside the stadium, everyone was reminded, when you come here, you get to see LeBron James. And people would see it, and they'll become a witness to it, and they'll go share. I had a friend uh, from our soccer club. We went to um, America last year, and um, he actually went and saw LeBron play. And he came, he showed me the photos, and he's like, Joel, man, you have to see this guy. Like, he's incredible. He's six foot eight. he's 260 pounds. Like, he is a massive unit, and yet he's graceful across the court. He can pass, he can shoot, he can dunk, he can defend, he can do everything. And then he's so calm, but then he gets really aggressive, and it's like, and he's just telling me all about it. And I'm just like, wow, <laughs> there's a witness They're right there. He's gone, and he's seen it, and then he comes and shares it. And I just go, what if that was us with Jesus? That every time that we meet, every time that we meet with Jesus, that we actually go, wow, we're all witnesses. Like, look how great Jesus is. He's powerful. He's beautiful. He's wonderful. He's amazing. You have to know him. We are all now witnesses to the work of God. Or in Paul's language, as he wraps up, he says in verse 20 that, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. The definition of an, of an ambassador is a representative in a foreign country. That we are God's representatives in this foreign country. That this, this world is not our home. That we are citizens of heaven. And yet, God has entrusted us and He's placed us here to be His representatives. To be His ambassadors. That Paul writes that, God is making his appeal through us. That's that a pretty scary thought. <laughs> it's a pretty daunting task that we are God's representatives and he's making his appeal through us. But it's also kind of exciting. Like, what a privilege. If you think about it, like God has, by grace, saved us, chosen us, and now given us this task to be his representatives to be his ambassadors, to be his witnesses. It's not a task that we chose for ourselves. Like he's actually chosen us for this. Maybe, just maybe, God knows what he's doing with that. Maybe God knows something a little bit more than us and actually he believes that there's something more at play and that he actually has entrusted us this ministry. And it's not because of how skillful we are. It's not because of how intelligent we are. It's not because of you know, how well we can explain the gospel in two minutes. Or it's not because of anything like this. It's because God has chosen us and that He's given us His power, the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit shines through jars of clay. That He has chosen us to be His representatives. 
And so we need to keep in step with the Spirit. We need to walk with the Spirit. We need to keep praying, keep reading our Word, keep stepping into action and trusting that, just like Paul writes in chapter 4, verse 7, it says, we have this treasure. This treasure, what's that? It's the knowledge of the glory of God. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. It's not our power that shines through the jars of clay. It's God's power, His Spirit. And so may we go out of this place knowing that, living that, compelled by that, that we know the fear of the Lord, but we also know the love of Christ. And so we go and we share the good news, knowing that we've been chosen for this task, for such a time as this, that you are where you are in your life right now. Maybe you're there for a reason, to share the good news with those around you. And so I want to encourage you to think about it. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to invite the music team up, but just before we stand, I just want you to just close your eyes and just for 30 seconds, just ask God, who are you putting on my heart this week? Who's on my radar? Just to think, who has God placed in your life that you can share the gospel with? And as we sing a last song, we're going to actually use this song to pray and to really pray into that and praise God for that. So just think, who are one or two people?